just another day Thank God for another day I know they want to see us stay But this line, it'll never fade What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the One Less Podcast. This is your host, Dylan Ignacio, and today we got Frank. What's good, Frank? How you doing, brother? What's going on, Dylan? Thanks. Uh, first thing I want to say, thanks for having me on your show, and thanks for everything that you do and the mission that you're uh, you're putting out there. It's much needed and really appreciate it. Speaking about missions, man, Frank, <clears throat> you got reps for responders, and we'll get into that a little bit later in the podcast, but uh, I kind of want to break it down. Break it down all the way back to, to Lil Frank, you know what I mean? Uh, what would it was like growing up, where you grew up, and and that kind of journey that led you into law enforcement? Oh, man. <clears throat> really got to put on the uh, back to the – I got to jump in the back of the future car, man, and go back <laughs> to the past. Uh, Let's do it. Yeah. I, I grew So I grew up – I live in New York. Grew up in Rockland County, New York, which is about – I always say it's about 40 minutes exactly with no traffic to Yankee Stadium, maybe 38 minutes. Small town. High school, uh, played football, was had a lot of friend groups, a lot of friend groups. And um, my confidence was definitely very low. Uh, to give you a little picture, I had glasses. Um, up until 10th grade, they called me McLovin from Superbad, which kind of got me a lot of uh, attention from the juniors and the seniors. And, you know, McLovin going through the, going through the, uh, going through the halls and everything. And, um, like I said, I had a lot of friends, but I just didn't have confidence in myself the way that I that I looked and the way it was like it was all fake confidence, you know, but that was just part of uh, nothing crazy. It was just part of my little own little journey because um, I cared a lot on how I did in school and sports and everything. And um, but junior year, I got my glass, took my glasses off and everyone's like, oh, what happened to you? I'm like, what do you mean? What happened to me? I just took my glasses off. I'm the same person. And then from there, it just. uh you know, hang, started hanging out with, uh, you know, the cool group, I guess, in quotes. And, um, you know, high school was good. It was a lot of fun, too much fun, but uh, definitely had a good time. But that confidence was definitely, uh, definitely took a lot of time to build to where it was today, where it is now and where it was then. It was a lot of fake confidence and a fear of what are people, what a fear of what are people saying about me, talking about me, all that stuff that I feel like young men, a lot of young men definitely go through when, when they grow up. But high school was a, was a great experience. I think we share a lot in that sense. We've talked about this before, but yeah, um, growing up myself and not really fitting into one particular group, I had a lot of friends in different, like, you know, you have your friends that are into sports, you have your friends that are into running the streets, you have friends that are into different stuff. I definitely personally was exactly the same way. And, and, and during that time in my life, I thought it was a curse. Like I thought I was cursed because I couldn't like fit in with just the popular kids or I couldn't just fit in with, you know, so-and-so, but ended up being like the biggest blessing because it diversified my insight and, and definitely helped me with my job now. So you got high school and then did you go to college? Yes. I went to my community college, <clears throat> Rockland community college, RCC, they call it here. Went there for two years, got my associates in uh, criminal justice. Uh, but there's a part of me that was missing something. And I was a volunteer firefighter at the time too. I just hit Eagle Scout, all that stuff, giving back. And um, I was missing that brotherhood, that, that team aspect. I was missing football a lot. So um, before I left to go to Rockland Community College, I started training, um, not really, really working out hard. I didn't really start lifting until like senior year of high school. I don't believe in regrets in life. But if I say only learning experiences, but if I had one regret, I wish I would have started lifting like freshman year of high school. It would have helped me so much more. 
on the football field for junior and senior year, but it also would have just made me build that self-confidence. So in April of 2012, um, I said to myself, listen, I was 20 years old. I made a plan with my ex-football coach, one of the uh, head assistants, uh, not going to drink for 150 days, going to eat clean, no cheat meals, um, made a workout plan. And then I ended up following that program. Very nice. That's where my strength started to really kick up fast, got a lot faster, and then walked on to uh, the Cortland football team, which is like a Division three school up by uh, not too far from Syracuse. So I ended up going to SUNY Cortland with uh, two of my friends also that I was with something out of like a TV show or a movie. Like we went to elementary school together, middle school, high school, community college, then we went to Cortland, regular uh, Cortland College together and ended up dorming together. So uh, that was a great experience overall there there too and 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 during that 150 days it it definitely built me to become more confident more of a leader and more of um because i say if i didn't do that if i went right to Cortland at a freshman year who knows if i would have made it do you think that that lined you up also for law enforcement like what was that transition like yeah that was something that was really early on um either a cop or a firefighter or something like that um that was kind of something i thought i just had to be i didn't know anything else my uncle was FDNY. Both my great-grandfathers was NYPD. My father's a volunteer firefighter. So it was kind of just like, you know, this is something I have to do. And, and that at the time, I definitely want to do. Uh, but I didn't have any other vision or plan. I was just, you know, take some tests and go from there. And um, that's really kind of the way that I was, that I was thinking. Um, but something about being grown up in that environment and going to all the functions and the uniforms and everything and giving back. You know, this is the way to give back to the community and a part of me not only make myself proud, but my family proud, you know, and as I got older, the, you draw the, the fine line between making yourself proud or you want to make your family and friends proud, you know, and that's, you know, later on, but that's how I looked at it. So I took the test when I was like 18 or 19 for New York City, and then I got the call like my junior year of college, I was 21, and I was like, listen, I want to finish my degree here, and they let me finish it, and then I ended up going through that, you know got on with NYPD at 23. Um, so that was, and I took a bunch of tests too. I, and I did well, I, I took the Port Authority. I did well in a state trooper, but it was just something about NYPD that I wanted to just, it, it drew me to. First of all, that's an interesting process. You were able to put in for NYPD at 18. Is that just you because take of the test? You can take the test like 17 and a half, but you can't get hired until 21. Is that just because there's such a big waiting list that the sooner you put in the better? Like why, why is that? Cause I know you can't do that here. Honestly, I, I have, I have no idea. I, uh, <laughs> I would assume that maybe things have changed, but I know you could take the test at either 17 and a half or 18 and a half, something like that. And I was like, I, I had to be a freshman in college when I took that test. I remember me and my buddy went, we took all classes together in high school and college and uh, we got the exact same grade. We took the exact same test. And uh, he actually went on the job when I got that call he didn't, he went on and he didn't finish. He didn't end up getting his bachelor's degree, but, I, but I stayed, but I think, yeah, because then they were giving tests out like all the time, like weekly. Now they only give out the test on certain dates and, and, and months, you know, it's not how it used to be. You, you can almost take that test like once a week. It was always there. So do you think that by already having the idea that you wanted to be in law enforcement at 18 kept you from doing like a lot of dumb shit in college or like <laughs> at least like put parameters uh -huh. up? It definitely did. I mean, 
there's some things that, you know, you learn from in college and high school that, you know, you look back and say, what were you thinking, Frank? You know, definitely a lot, but um, to the point where I was always in the back of my head, like, you know, if, if I do this or go this route, you know, then I'll never become a cop. That was always in the back of my head with a lot of things that, that I did. And, uh, you know, through the grace of God, I was able to slide through that. And uh, I guess you would say not get in trouble or not make a stupid mistake to get you, you know, disqualified for the process. And, uh, but that's something that I always thought of, you know? Yeah. I definitely think that if I had that thought process, <laughs> I wouldn't have done <laughs> half the shit that I did. But uh, so you get through college, 23, now you're stepping into the uniform. How was that transition process? Like the transition from going to, you know, a college student right into law enforcement. Like, did you have any shift in, you know, identity? What was that like, that transition? So I graduated college in, crazy story. Graduated college at the end, on my birthday, May 17th, 2014. And it looked like I was going to be in the January class of 2014, uh, or 2015, sorry. And, um, I was like, all right, you know, a few more months just to chill with my family, get ready for, you know, my career, my life and go from there. But it ended up, I got, it got pushed back from the January class to July of 2015. And I was really bummed out. So I didn't know what to do. I was like, should I work um, for a year or should I just like try to, you know, the young, young buck thinking, enjoy my life for the next year. And then, uh, you know, I'm going to be working for the rest of my life. So go from there and I already was working at ShopRite for like three three four years um did personal training uh ended up doing like physical therapies being becoming a physical therapist aide but that year of 2014 it's, it's funny you said that I actually went back to college and I didn't go to college I graduated but my two buddies still had another uh semester and a year left one had a semester one had a year left because they had to finish because uh, one they uh, had to do something for teaching degree, so I ended up moving. I graduated. I graduated. I moved back upstate to live with them for three, four months, no job, just paid the the Wi-Fi bill and lived there. To I still couldn't get out of that little, you know, in my mind, college aspect. But it was because I didn't want to be alone. All my friends were starting different jobs. They were going away and. Um, I didn't want to be alone. I was going through a breakup at the time. So I was like, all right, like I can go there, still hang out with them and go from there. But I was there in September. But by the time November came, we rolled around. I'm like, I got to get the hell out of here. Like, what am I doing with myself? So I went back home, uh, worked a little bit. And then July of 2015 is when I, I got sworn in on July 8th of 2015. And there was kind of like a uh, really proud and good moment. But I was, I was still on that like workout football regiment. So like waking up, um, going, going, I did the morning Academy was, I really liked that. I really liked that routine. And I really worked really hard in the Academy. Like we, we would have our fitness sessions. I was powerlifting at the time. So I had a, a crazy, a crazy schedule Dylan. It was like, you know, six 30 had to be on the monster deck, go home, get home at like four, uh, hit Starbucks or the library for literally like an hour or, or an hour and a half, depending on what, how much work I had. So now it's five 36, New York sports club. I was powerlifting until like eight o'clock training till eight and go home, eat and uh, wake up and do it again. And I did that for like six months. Um, and I really enjoyed that, that structure. You know, people always say they complain about the Academy. And I was like, how can you, how could you complain? You're getting paid to literally learn and work out. 
you know, that's how I looked at it. And it got me through that, that mindset. I'm like, this is great. You know, I would love to go back and do another six months of getting paid and, and to work out. Uh, but that was definitely, I was really, really strong, you know, back then, especially for my, my weight and my mindset was really like uh, ready to roll. So I, I felt pretty confident and pretty good going into uh, going to the streets and get, ended up getting sent to the, the South Bronx. Okay. So you get through there and you make it to the academy and now you're out on the street. What was that transition? Because there's a lot of, there's a transition from going from regular life to now being in the academy, right? Because you're like, I'm not really on the street yet. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm amped to be here. And now you're in the Bronx. So I'm, I'm sure I, you got a few stories. <laughs> I, I think there's two ways that guys and girls think about this saying, wow, I love it here. Or for me, when I first got there, I said, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> It was, it was definitely, you know, <laughs> that was, that was my thought process. I said, what the hell is going on? You know, I said, wow. You know, um, for the first month or two, it was really hard. It was, um, I'm very lucky and blessed that I had really, really good FTOs. Cause we had to do two months of days, two months of four to 12, two months of midnights, had a great partner. But at first it was kind of just like, you know, it was a, it was a whole new world. I mean, I only lived 40 minutes away from there, but the environment there was just, uh, it's a really tough neighborhood, really, really tough. Um, and, you know, predominantly it's African-American, Puerto Rican and and, uh, and Dominican. And a lot of people speak Spanish there. And I was kind of just like, I don't, you know, I took Spanish in high school and college, thank God. But, you know, once they see you, you know, you're the, the white cop, you're, you're the bad guy. So it was kind of like trying to build, build that test of, you know, I'm here to help people and I have to re realize that you know, I can't help everybody, um, you know, and some people don't even want, want our help, right? That's what every cop, you know, has to realize is that we can't, can't help everybody. Um, and no matter what, like, we just have to accept that we have to do the best we can every single day. Um, but we can't, we can't really help. Every, we can't do it all. You know, even though you want to be that Superman or Batman type of personality is, and, and that's okay. Like you have to say that that's okay. Um, but when it's time to do your job, you know, that, 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 that's what matters. So the first few months were hard. And then I ended up really, 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 uh, started to love it and love going to work and enjoyed it. Yeah. That's an awesome transition. I'm sure that there was like shell shock walking into that neighborhood. So how long have you been on the job now? Five and a half years, five a little and over years. five and a half. Have you spent all your time in the Bronx? No, I, I spent about probably three, four years. Four years, four years in the Bronx. Yeah. And the thing about the Bronx is you need to have, you definitely need to have thick skin and, and a headstrong, you know, you, you have to know that uh, it's, I don't want to call it like a little battle zone, but it's like, uh, you can never get complacent ever. Um, and when you're sent there, it's a tough, like I said, it's a tough area, but if you can see it through the light of this is only going to make me a better cop and a better human, and a mentally and physically tough, like that's the way you have to look at it. Cause if you, you could be a cop in the Bronx, you can really be a cop anywhere. And that was what I enjoyed the most when I was doing patrol there was like, I'm around so many different groups of people in the cities where I'm learning so many different cultures. Like I said, my partner was Dominican. I didn't know anything about Dominican Republic or how, how that type, you know, that culture lives. And it was great. It, it really is. It's, it gets you out of your comfort zone of, 
living in your small town, wherever you grew up, if you live in a small town and learning more, there's more than just that small town. And that's what I really, really enjoyed. And then when you go to details of Manhattan and everything, it was just like a kid in Disneyland. Like, wow, like this is, this is great. I'm sure you were exposed to a lot of different things while in the Bronx. What do you think your number one call for service was, you know, when it came to, to calls that you were going to in that area? Uh, definitely like a lot of high volume, like violence calls, like a lot of EDP calls, unfortunately, domestic, domestic jobs, a lot of robs, robberies, they call them thirties in, in New York city. Um, shot spotter activation all the time, male shot, male stabbed, you know, that's just like the typical, you know, at least maybe once a week, uh, um, gun run, things like that. And then in my precinct, we have no hospitals or highways, you know, so there wasn't that many accidents, but there were still some, but nothing crazy where like, you know, highway or an accident scene investigation will come and, and do, but a lot of larcenies, a lot of like the major seven, they call them in New York, you know, um, crimes, which was like, you learn fast and uh, you're also exposed to a lot of things fast. You know what I mean? So that was just like a, uh, especially as a young, I, I mean, I was 23, right? So 24. Like you're a man, but are you really a man yet? Like, right, the, the, the male brain doesn't really truly develop to like 26. So it's like processing all that and knowing like this is the real world now. There's no more joking around. Like this is this is how life is, not only in the Bronx, but around the world. And like, you have to be blessed to say, wow, I was able to grow up with a good family and in a great environment. And I think people forget to lose, they, they lose that scope sometimes of even though things are rough, like counting and, and being grateful for things that, you could put yourself in other shoes and it, and it taught me empathy, right? It, it's like, wow, I could now, obviously with my situation, I can feel it a lot more, but when I was first there, I was like, yeah, I, I do feel, I do feel for this person. You know what I mean? Cause then of course, drugs and alcohol. I mean, you can literally get an open container summons like almost on every other block. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't hard. Like some of the nights we had to do that and just bring back one, uh, bring back three. And, and when you're like, oh man, I got to bring back three summonses. You realize you can get that probably within like the first hour or two, you know, if you wanted to. Yeah, the Bronx is, it is a lot of great people that obviously work there and live there. It's just the money situation. It's like one of the poorest counties, you know, in the country. So it's just sad to see like, you know, there are a lot of good and hardworking people there, but it's just sad that it's, that it's like, that it, that, that it, ha that it's like that, you know, and that, that's just a reality. So as you know, like one less is all tailored to mental health. When did you notice that the calls for service that you're going for, especially being in a place like the Bronx, um, where you're rapidly exposed to violent things more than most police officers would be in their career, when did you notice that creeping into your personal life, or did you at all? Uh, honestly, when I was there from 2015, to, well, 20, when I was, I was there for two and a half years, so I didn't really notice it, honestly, man. Like, I knew, you know, people, like domestics and things, people are going through a hard time, and and disputes and, and obviously the amount of homeless shelters we were going to, I guess, you know, emotional disturbed calls where, where people are, are at um, like that, the houses and things like that, or little hospitals, <clears throat> you know, I realized that was, it was a lot. It was a lot. And I never forget when I had a call, when I had this one call in one of uh, in sector, sector boy went to a homeless shelter and the homeless shelter was all for veterans. And we get there and, you know, the guy is, he's standing there like he's in uniform, you know what I mean? And, um, and he's calling me, sir. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I almost said like at ease, like, don't call me that. Like, you know, we're, we're here to help out and, you know, kind of on the same team. 
but they were like at uh what's the position i'm calling for you know like i would i want to say stand down or a bad face but they were just you know that attention yeah attention thank, thank you thank you yeah there's an attention i'm like dude mm-hmm. i'm like you don't have to do this dude like i was i called him like i'm like call the man like you don't have to do that and i kind of like i'll never forget that like i, I haven't thought about that in a long time but that's something that literally just brought up you know saying wow didn't really think any of that was you know for especially for the vet like for veterans like here they are in and they weren't it wasn't it wasn't good man we're talking about the south bronx and in a build in a building building located you know 30 it was just sad it was really sad to see it broke my heart you know yeah i mean that's a whole different conversation we can have but the way that you notice that a lot of vets in the homeless population um, become victim to substance abuse all that uh, mismanaged trauma uh, and just kind of dumped back it's like oh thank you for your service now you're dumped into the streets um i don't have a lot of ex- i'm not prior military so i don't have a lot of experience with what the transition process is uh, when you come back, but I definitely know that, and I, I actually, I can't even speak to that. I don't even know if it's getting better, but I definitely know like a lot of like our NOM guys, uh, a lot of the older vets, those are typically the guys that we see, you know, that are like in their 60s, 70s that are inside, uh, you know, the, either the homeless shelters or just in the low income housing areas um, and their lifestyle and the way they're living. And, and, and some of them are literally just wear their fatigues every day because that's like the one you know, shining, you know, moment in their life. And man, that's just freaking depressing. So I could, I could see how that really weighed on you, especially when he's called, when they're calling you, sir. You know what I mean? Like That was crazy, man. I was like, what? I'm like, like, I'm a rookie cop. I haven't, I've been there a year and you're calling me, sir. Like what? I was like, whoa. That And that was something I was like, I'll never forget this. Yeah. And that's where, again, another topic, you know, I don't want to go down that slippery slope, but it's also like that camaraderie between, military members and police isn't always there um you know what i mean like i've definitely been in a specific scenario where there was a military member that definitely disrespected me on the job and it wasn't even you know there was no reason for it and honestly i didn't even know how to approach it because i've always put us all on the same team i'm definitely more of like the glass half full we're all in this together kind of guy and not everybody has the same headspace for that he's a veteran or he was still um, active. He was active. And so it just rubbed me the wrong way. And, you know, I, I was like, damn, like that was kind of like the first, like, maybe we're not, you know, but we need to be, you know, we need to be on the same team. But to hear that from somebody who's definitely experienced a lot, they're in a very low, low time in their life. They're in a homeless shelter and a veteran. And for them to say, sir, I mean, that's powerful. And, uh, you know, that, that fills my heart with joy almost because it's just like, wow, like this person has been through it all. I mean, I can only imagine going through my own traumas and then also dealing with the financial instability on top of that. And then still having the, the grit or the mentality that a hey, same team, sir, you know, damn. so I want to push kind of, cause we spoke to this before and you're a big advocate for it. Uh, you know, I want to dive kind of just straight into it when it comes to drinking, like, you know, cause you've told me before that you've had issues with alcohol and I'm going to I'll let you share your side of the story, but kind of when did you notice that becoming a problem? And then what was the transition in your life that made you get sober? <clears throat> um, so drinking has like, remember how I said back in April of 2012, I stopped drinking for 150 days. 
Yeah. And I didn't even drink that much. I barely drank that much before that. It would be like, you know, in college, like early years, you'd think like, you know, having a few 24 ounces of Coors Light or Miller Light, you're the man or 140 and, you know, a 40 bottle and, you know, going to these parties. And I was at that point in my life, I was able to put it down, no problem. But then I knew in my head, like, you know, once I started going to college, I'll definitely be partying. Um, So basically for me, I always knew that I had like a little issue because every time I would drink and I wouldn't do anything wrong, I would feel the guilt and shame. Like I was, that I was doing something wrong. Right. And that was like my spirit. Like, you know, it's gonna, we're going to get really kind of deep here. Um, I don't know if the listeners are ready for this, but uh, bring it. that that's like my spirit calling out to me, Frank saying like, you know, stop burning me down, like stop burning me to the core. Right. And I ignored it dude for years. And when I got on the job, I was like, so built and programmed, like drinking is part of the culture, the way I grew up and movies and shows and everything. And it's like, all right, like this is like, a, it's like, you know, it's like another fraternity. Right. And I didn't drink every day. Um, but like on my RDOs on my off days, I would always be drinking. I, w- I would definitely be drinking. And it's like, all right, if I'm, if I'm RDO on Friday, Saturday, Monday, I'm thinking like, where am I going? And what am I drinking? Like, that's how sick it is. Like, that's how much it was controlling me. And I had no fucking idea, dude, no idea at all. So till about 2018, um, everything was going great. Uh, you know, I felt like I was the man. I felt very confident, you know. But dude, again, it was that fake confidence that I was like, I was hiding for years. And that fake confidence was really fear. And the fear was, you know, and when I got, when, even when I got to the precinct, like I didn't even want people, like I was so fearful of like, even like the little reports and everything. Like, am I doing this right? Like I couldn't make a mistake, dude. If I made the little mistake and like, or messed up on, on like, I made sure I read like the arrest report or the six, the complaint report like eight times. Cause if I made a little mistake, even if I had to line it out, like I beat myself up the whole entire night. Like that's how, that's how, that's how like trying to be perfect. I was. Cause then it was like, Frank, how could you, if you make a little mistake here, what about, you know, getting, you know, going up the ranks or doing this, like you can't, there's no time for it. And that's, that's something that, you know, I learned the hard way. So in 2018, I ended up leaving New York City and going to a, a different department around where I live. That's when that fake confidence and that fear, man, that fear, that fear demon was ready to come out. And he came out. He was pumped up for years, suppressed and not suppressed in the right way. And he was full blown. I got you now, Frank, literally by the throat, you know, and there's no letting go. You're mine now. Like, you know, the devil and the angel on your shoulder. Like you should have listened to that spirit with us to say, you know, you're feeling guilty for a reason, right? You're running. You're running from the Minotaur. Exactly. And now the Minotaur has got me and it's, it's on, man. I had to fight for my life, literally. And uh, went to the hometown department and within a month, I'm like, what am I, again, that same thing. What the fuck am I doing here? Like, you know, it's a great, it was a great, it's a great place. The guys were good. You know, everyone's, you know, closer to home. The pay was better. You're safer. You know, this is like the police lottery. But I couldn't get out of my head of like, am I really going to be a patrol cop for 20 years in my hometown apartment? And I didn't want to just be a patrol cop. And it really, really ate at me. So that's when my drinking started picking up big time. Um, and it ate at me so bad that I ended up stopped eating, got rid of my social media. This is like the 2018 frame. Stop powerlifting. Like a year before that, I was competing, you know, competing in, in powerlifting, doing decent, pretty decent. Um, and all of that fakeness was being exposed to me every day in the mirror and the people around me saw, and I got stuck. 
I literally got stuck. I couldn't make a decision. Like, you know, that song, like, should I stay or should I go? Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I couldn't make a decision. And as a cop, we know if you make a decision and I learned the hard way, if, if you make a decision, you stick with it and you learn from it right or wrong. Right. Like I posted on my story, like a picture of Frank Castle, like at the end of the day, every decision needs to make has to be made turning right or left regular crunchy or right or wrong. Like, you know, we're making decisions all the time. Like I'm going to pull out left when I leave to this podcast and go to, go to my apartment out of my block, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's going to happen when I pulled out right, but I made that decision and I, and I pulled out left and, you know, I couldn't make a decision for the, the life of me. And then, um, I ended up getting, you know, diagnosed with major depressive disorder and lost like 20 pounds and shut down really, really shut down. And then I finally made a decision to go back to New York city of like November of 2018. But by that time, man, it was like the walking dead. I was really, really, really hurting. And, you know, when you're young and you hear depression, you're like, oh, come on. How, how could you be depressed? Like, what's what's so bad? You know, and maybe depression lasts for, you know, a week or two. Like, you know, you hear like I'm depressed after a breakup or something like that. But that's like the young mindset of especially as the, being a being a man in the men culture is you can't be depressed. You can't. You can't. There's no way like you have to fight through it. Right. Sack up. That's what we hear a lot and go. Yeah, that last for that would lasted for a long time, probably for about a year, and it was, it was brutal. It was brutal, and I was using alcohol to, uh, to do that. Well, you're telling me that you got diagnosed with depression. What, what was the pivot that led you to getting help so that you that you got a formal diagnosis? I mean, it was bad where I couldn't even get out of bed. I mean, I wasn't even taking a shower for three days, and that that's like the depression. That's obviously depression one on one. But you know, my family was kind of just like you know, you you're not yourself. Like you have to get help. You're not doing anything. You're not helping yourself. So I was like, you know what? All right. I will, I will do that. And um, thank God I had a great family structure. And, and that's why I'm blessed to say that I don't have, I don't have like, not everybody has that, right? Like they don't have that, that team and that structure to, to have that support. So I'm very lucky that, that I had that. So I ended up uh, in 2018, I was in the hospital for like six weeks. And was that a part of a, a treatment program? Or well, what was the six weeks? Definitely wasn't part of a treatment program. I had knew nothing about it. My aunt's a doctor and she's like, Frank, you need to check yourself in the hospital. So I was like, all right, I have no choice. You know, I, I was doing little things like that. And um, as in like trying to ask for help. And my, my problem was that I was talking to way too many people for different advices and different things. And that <clears throat> is not the way to go because they don't know me. They don't know my thoughts. They don't know what I'm thinking. They don't really know me. And that was too many people in my head, you know, literally of, should I go this way? Should I do this? This is their life experience. And, but it's not my life experience. I didn't live that yet, you know, and I'm never going to live that because that's their life experience. So I ended up going to the hospital and realizing like, you know, basically when I was talking to them and I was really depressed and obviously my thoughts were really powerful. It was like, I couldn't leave. And I was like, wait a second. When I got there, I was like, wait, 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 this is not for me. There's a lot of things that you harped on there, man, that I want to touch on. First is the family structure. That's everything. The family structure is everything that led you to getting the assistance. I remember my, originally, I wasn't going to get hired by the department that I'm hired by now for a multitude of reasons, not that I was necessarily surprised by it. But in my final interview with the chief, not, not the current chief, but was the chief at the time, he was like, he asked me specifically, like, what is your family friend relationship like? And when I told him, no, I have good friends. I have, you know, very loving family. He's like, keep that because that's going to be everything in this profession, keeping that 
Um, and, and so often that when things get shitty for us, we tend to isolate ourselves from all that because we can't help it. It's inherent. Um, it starts attacking our, especially as men, our sense of masculinity. Uh, it attacks our, our, so one thing that you've harped on a few times during, during this podcast is, is the confidence. Lack of confidence also causes us to run in 30 different directions to get advice from 300 different people. And I know that because I still currently deal with that. Um, not as severe as I used to and definitely uh, addressing issues that I have uh, sober, <laughs> uh, you know, gives, a, gives a, a way better clear path perception on, on you know, the, the avenues that it's gonna take to get better. But having that family, um, and I'm, I'm gonna make kind of a broad statement here, but that is kind of the atmosphere that we wanna create for other first responders that don't have that. So you did your six, uh, six weeks in the hospital and what was the result of that? Well, what, what you said too, I wanna to bring something up too, was that I, like I said, was very lucky and blessed to have the support of not only my family and friends, but one of my other family members was struggling hard too, was alcohol. So it was kind of like, I needed help, but also they also needed help, you know? So it was like a really <sighs> toxic, bad environment, you know? And cause he, when, when, especially I don't have kids, but one day, hopefully I will. It's like when, as a parent and you see your, your kids suffering, it's just like, all right, like, you know, they want to be there for them, but like, not my kid, right. Not my, not my son or daughter, or they'll get through it. They're strong enough. Um, so it was really hard and we'll, I'll go into that later, but for me, when I was there, I got out in three weeks and I got out. It was like a jail, man. Like medication time, only go outside for 30 minutes a day. Um, you know, it was, it was tough and it wasn't the help that I needed for sure. It was kind of like made me like definitely feel worse about myself. And I got out. I was like, things are worse. You know, I started laugh, like I can laugh about it now. And that's what it's, that's what it's all about to me is where you can laugh about it and see how far you came and to help others. But you have to laugh. You have to laugh. I was like, holy shit, Frank. I said to myself, you're worse, man. You know, you fought this thing so hard, the Minotaur, and it really got you. And, you know, now you're really at a position where, you know, you're in the hospital. Who knows if you're going to keep your job? I, I, I went to my, my, my significant other left me at the time. And it ended up being the greatest thing in the world because um, she couldn't help me. Right. She could love me so much. But if I'm not accepting that love and I don't even love my like love myself at the time, how the hell is anybody ever going to pull you out of that? And that's something that I really learned. And I had to learn it the hard way. And I ended up going back and say, listen, I'm drinking. And I had to admit that to them. And they're like, oh, you should have told us that in the beginning. And they sent me like to a little two week uh, inpatient rehab there. And then um, I got out and I was doing some outpatient work. Um, and of course, the job knew. And um, I was like, this is not for me. Like, this is not helping me, you know. So I ended up saying, listen, I want to, so everything I'm saying, like I volunteered, you know, I went and got the help. So I need to go away to like the farm, which is what we call rehab. And I was like, I know I'm going through a hard time and I'm definitely growing from this and learning like a big life experience is a situational depression that turned into a major, major depressive disorder. Like I want to get better. So I ended up going to this place called high watch recovery center in Kent, Connecticut. And it was like the, for another six weeks. And from like February to April of 2019. So almost going on two years ago. And it was like one of the best decisions I ever made. The place was great. And it was like me, I was in a dorm with like 14 other guys. Um, and it was great because it wasn't just first responders to me. And I can like a lot of guys and girls can't relate to that. But for me, 
it related because I was like, wow, there's so many different walks of life going through what I'm going through. And that was so powerful to me. Doctors, lawyers, unfortunately, homeless people, people addicted to crack, people to, uh, addicted to heroin, big time business people to, uh, addicted to crystal meth. I'm like, wait a second. All right. I'm not alone. And it was a really powerful, I took it, tried to take it as a powerful direction to my recovery. Now, the first two weeks were brutal. I wanted to get the hell out of there. But after that, it was great. And it was definitely one of the, uh, it was definitely a great place for me to go there. So I got out in April of 2019. And then my mind, of course, was, all right, you know, I'm feeling better. I'll pick up some drinks here and there, which I've directly have told the job and never hit anything. And I was like, that's how sick this disease is. I was like, all right, Frank, I'll only drink if I'm at the Jersey Shore. I only drink if I'm at the Yankee game. No one knows who I am there. I can hide it. I can do it. And then finally, I said enough is enough. And September 23rd of 2019 was is, is my sober date. So last time I picked up was September 22nd of 2019. So I want to touch on something here too. You're still a police officer, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. So for any of listeners here that are inspired by this story is that He's still a police officer. He didn't lose his job. He's still doing it, you know, even through going all that. Now, how was going through the rehab with a bunch of people who weren't first responders or specifically police officers? How was that? Did it rub you wrong or were you already just so committed to getting, getting help that it didn't bother you that much? It definitely didn't rub me wrong. Um, Cause at that point I had nothing to hide. You know, I, for me, there was no point of return. I had to get the help and that's why, you know, my pro the program that I started red for responders and all that stuff. It's like, we're trying to prevent it from going down that, that deep dark hole where fear or the minotaur has you by the throat and you eat. Once that happens, it's like very, very unlikely to get out alone. You can always get out. But I, I, I said to myself, wow, if I started going to AA or did all this stuff early, 18, 17, you know, if this was implemented in schools, maybe my life would have been a lot different, but I didn't know better at all. I wasn't taught any of this. You know, I grew up around it. It was in my brain. You know, they say alcoholism is, is you know, is genetically um, in, in your brain, you know, before you're uh, born and it's just part of you. I believe that. And I also believe that anyone can become an addict. I believe that any traumatic experience can cause any type of addiction, not if it's substance abuse, it could be anything. So I, I really do feel like that people, it's always it could be a part of them depending on how they're thinking and, and, and how and if the thinking gets really dark, 50% of the United States drinks socially. So out of that 50%, 10% are alcoholics. So I'm not saying everyone needs to stop drinking, you know, but for the people that can't admit it, like step one, we're powerless over alcohol and our life has become unmanageable. When I was there at that rehab, I was all in. That's why I always say all in on the social media posts. I was all in. I had to be all in. I had to get better because my life was unmanageable. You know, I was powerless over alcohol. I say it's like my kryptonite. And I think, you know, for any, that alcohol was not created to go into the human body. It doesn't break down that way. It, it breaks down in the body. Everything else shuts down, basically. You know, you even stop breaking down food. It becomes empty calories. So everything slows down. You don't sleep. Your testosterone goes lower for males. Um, it just really, really is a, is a poison. I call it the devil juice, you know, rat poison. That's what it is to the human body. Uh, but if you can control it, that's, and that's your way of getting steam off, that's, that's what you do. But, you know, especially as a first responder, we're already exposed to a lot of traumatic events and different things. So it's, in my opinion, it's really not going to help us. It, it, it might help you right now, but if you don't 
get this thing wrapped up, it could really expose some really, really deep, dark demons down the future if you're during your career or hell, even after your career. Because we know the average age of a cop is 57 to 65. And it, the average age of a person was 73. Now it went to 71 because of all the drugs, the suicide. And this is the first time ever in history that in our generation that our parents are surviving longer than us because of the suicide, the social media, the mental health negative aspects, the overdoses, how strong heroin and fentanyl is. You know, these things are really powerful. You're gambling. When every time you drink or you drug, you're really play, playing Russian roulette. So to me, I, it was a great experience that uh, I'm very, very grateful for. And even grateful for picking up a few times after that. It wasn't a relapse, but it was a slip-up. So I say there's a huge difference between a relapse and a slip-up. A relapse is you going on a bender for how long? A slip-up is, all right, I drank. You know, let's just, let's just say, I'm, I'm just saying, say I drank yesterday. Okay, why did I drink yesterday? Can I catch that? Okay, I, I drank because of this. Let's talk about it. Let's try to use the fellowship and, and my, my connections that, that I've learned from, from the program and life and, and figure out next time I feel like that, not to pick up. Pick up the phone, which sometimes feel like a 500-pound dumbbell. You know, uh, in the, the podcast that's going to be put out before this one with Joey, we spoke about that. We don't really do ourselves a favor in this profession either. Uh, because alcohol is so intertwined in the culture. Not only is it like very intertwined in like American culture, and you know, that can go across to, to just not American, but you know, just all across the globe. But specifically in our profession, if you don't drink, you're kind of an outcast, you know, because that's how we cope. And there is a lot of uh, camaraderie that is built around, you know, the choir practices and hanging out afterwards and talking about how shitty the shift was and all that kind of stuff. But your brain on a chemical level can't even heal under that state uh, when you get those scars of trauma. It's just not possible. And then, you, like you said, the poison. And I'm kind of new on the train because, you know, I haven't drank since Christmas. And I plan for that to be, Congratulations, you know, from here man. on Good out, being a thing. Thank you. Plan for that to be consistent uh, because of taking pride in the fact that I'm different in the sense that I don't drink and hopefully set that standard for others. When I notice people come to me for advice and things like that, um, I've, I've kind of gotten a habit recently of asking if they have, if they drink often, uh, because you're not really giving yourself a stable platform. You could read all the books in the world. You could do all the meditation. You could do all the words of affirmation, but if your brain's clouded through alcohol, um, you're not going to heal properly. And, and we don't, like I said, again, like we don't, when you, we should normalize that. I mean, it, I'm not saying to stop drinking entirely, but I know the bloodline I come from does suffer from alcoholism. So it's naive for me to think that I'm not going to experience the same. And, and for me personally, it was, I can't imagine going a weekend off without going out. And I used going out as the excuse, but we all know what that means to go get drunk. And then it would be Oh man. I mean, and we even joke about it now. It's like you drink so much that the next morning you're like, Oh, I'll never drink again. But then by seven o'clock, you're feeling a little bit better. And then you go out again and then you do it again. You do it again. Next thing you know, you're going back to work. Now you haven't addressed any of that trauma that you've experienced throughout that. Or even if you didn't suffer any, it's like, say this, you know, you went the whole week at work and there wasn't anything super traumatic. You know, Dr. Gil Martin states, and I'm, I keep bringing him back in these podcasts is that we're in a state of hypervigilance at work regardless if we experience anything traumatic or not, your body has to jump out of that. 
basically how it does that is when you get off work, you, you drop out of that state of hypervigilance and you go down to into a depressive state on a chemical level because you've been in such a heightened state all day. And alcohol is not going to get you out of that depressive state. <clears throat> Neither is really anything, any toxic habits such as excessive video gaming or excessive you know, porn or excessive, you know, any of these things. But alcohol seems to be the catalyst for a lot of us. Anybody that I've spoken to, it's, it's alcohol, it's alcohol. So, you know, for anybody listening to this, and then I want to get into reps, <clears throat> but for anybody listening to this, I think the important takeaways from here is Frank and myself, I believe, are just like a majority of people out there in law enforcement right now, especially after this year and all hell breaking loose, where we have been in positions where we've tried to heal, you know, because there's different levels to it. A, you might not know something's going on. Then you identify that problem. And now you try to work through that problem. And then you try to work through that problem sober. And then that problem starts to, to dissolve itself. So any approach that you're taking of bettering yourself, especially if you're jumping into the wellness space, which hopefully one less and reps is a pry bar for that, taking that mission on with a sober mindset is going to get you a lot more up to speed than, than not, because I mean, it took me so long and I'm still only recently progressing. So transitioning that into reps, man, we haven't got into reps. So, so what birds reps? I'm interested to hear that. And nobody, assuming nobody here listening knows what reps is. What about that transition? So now you're sober and you're getting, you know, you're getting all the assistance you need. How did reps come about? So real quick before reps, you said some really powerful things and I just definitely have to hit on them is that not drinking is the easy part for me. It's sitting with that fear of resentment, that guilt, that shame, that lack of, lack of confidence, that whatever negative feelings you're feeling, that's the hardest part to sit with and really break down the onion and peel, peel, you know, each layer um, without drinking. Like that's the hard, that that's, that's the hard part. I um, mean, it's the same thing with like any addiction. Um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not a mental health professional or any of that. This is just sharing what, through my learning experiences and my perspective. But, you know, I, when I asked for help, I was in a deep, deep state, you know, but if you can catch your drinking so much, you know, I'm not, we're not saying go to the job and, and raise my hand and be like, Hey, you know, I'm an alcoholic because each department is going to look at things differently, but there's so many different platforms out there, you know, like reps one less different places to help you get through what you're getting through. So you don't have to go to the job and deal with getting your gun and shield taken away. You know, that was a big, that was, that's what happened to me. And that was another hard thing to accept and swallow. And, you know, when guys do that and girls do that, it's hard for them. And that's one of the main reasons why they don't ask for help because of that. And when you ask for help, you don't have to tell anybody. Right. If you don't have to tell anyone, you talk to your therapist, you talk to your support group or whatever, and it stays there. You don't have to say to your job, hey, I'm going to get help right now. Unless you're having that suicidal ideation and that those thoughts like first responder or not. No one ever deserves to take their own life at all, ever. And for me, you know, I would say I refuse to be another statistic if it's on the job or was drinking. And this job is not my life. It's a part of my life. Right. I say it again, this job is not my life. It's a part of my life that I do enjoy, but I'm not going to let something else take over me. Um, and I have to suffer through and uh, not live the life that I want to, you know, I really like this job, but if it never worked out, Hey, 
you know what I went through, I learned from it. And the next part of my life and chapter, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it, I'll figure it out. And if I don't pick up a drink for that day, I know I have a better chance of figuring it out. Right. And that drinking is so much easier than just going to the gym, driving to the gym, right? Just driving to the gym and getting there. It's so easy to pick up a bottle or pop a pill. It takes three seconds. Working out, putting in the steps, going to therapy, all these things. It's much easier to do that. And when you said that, you know, the hypervigilance stages, a lot of first responders are like adrenaline junkies, you know? And over time, especially drinking, it's a slow suicide, man. It's only a matter of time if you're drinking every day that your body's going to say, I can't do this anymore, Frank. I'm starting to shut down. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, brother. You know, that's what it's literally saying to us. Um, and drinking is obviously a depressant. It might make you feel good in the moment. Um, but, you know, it's also, you know, releases serotonin, dopamine hit. That's that really, that staying in that hypervigilant state. But like you said, Dylan, controlling that hypervigilant state the best we can and going from a 10 to slowly go to, down to an eight, to a six, to a four, instead of going from a 10 to a two. Um, you know, being aware of being aware is what I always say too. So if we can at least be aware of that, it's definitely a lot, I don't want to say a lot easier, but it's it's something that could could help you in the long run. Hey, I'm not feeling so good today. Let me try to do something. If it's calling a friend or going for a walk, going for a run. They say physical fitness for 22 minutes a day can fight up depression up to 25 minutes. And I'm not talking about crazy strongman, CrossFit, bodybuilding, powerlifting, just getting out there and doing something you enjoy. You don't have to fall in for the social media stuff that everyone's doing CrossFit or training hard. And hey, if you like to swim, if you like to dance, if you like kettlebells, get after it. Do it. Do it to the best of your ability. That, that's you. That's you. But use that as a tool. Use that to make, you know, Obviously, you, you want to look good and build muscle, but it's really, really, really helping your emotional state and your spiritual state. And that's how I look at it. So those are just things that I definitely uh, wanted to put out there because it's what happened. It's a part of my life experience. And um, and I guess at the end of 2019, I realized like, so my father ended up, the one I was talking to before, he actually just hit a year sober, a little over a year sober. And I realized that, hey, if I can get through it and this guy can get through it because he's got, he had some physical damage. He had like two broken legs over the past like 10 years longer that ended up having like, you know, alcohol issues and painkiller issues. So he had like a knife and a gun going in his heart, which one was going to go first. Like he was in really, really, really physically and mentally, you know, chemically de dependent on this stuff. So the grace of God, he went to the same rehab I did. Apple doesn't fall, fall too far from the tree. And, uh, it's weird when you say, you know, you always want to follow your, your father's footsteps, but he, you know, at that point he was following his son's footsteps, which is crazy. Um, and I realized, wow, like this could work. You just have to really, really want it and put in the work. And you know, what our society today, all you have to do is throw up a picture and double tap a pic and double tap something. And then you can feel good about yourself, which is, that's not hard work. That's, that's, that's enough. That's time for another conversation. So I ended up saying, all right, what has helped me stay the course at this time? I was like five months over, four months over. And uh, what, what can help me? Because NYPD had like 12 suicides in 2019. And it was like really broke my heart. And 238 police officers in 2019. 2020 was, I think, up to 176 now. Those numbers are still coming in. I said, what can we do if it worked for me that we can help with other people? Um, and... All right, working out, eating clean, and talking about what I'm going through, if it's positive or negative, with like-minded individuals that I trust has really, really helped me. 
you know god put seven billion of us or your higher power put seven billion of us on on this planet for a reason we don't have an island where it's just me frank's island or dylan's island and we're by ourselves right we need to use that and connect uh, and like i said you can never do this alone right best sports professionals out there Derek Jeter had a hitting coach. He probably had a sports psychiatrist we don't know about. All these different people have all these different leaders and helpers around them to get them to where they are. So I don't want people to, to ever forget that. You don't have a sergeant just going out there and doing the whole entire patrol by himself. There's a sergeant and there's 10, 12, 15 cops behind him. You know, so everyone has to work together. So I ended up saying, all right, what the name and rep for responders, looked it all up online. There's not taken, okay. So I said, all right, free open gym for first responders and military. Awesome. awesome. Hit the ground running. Uh, got the nonprofit approved in like January of 2020. Opened up a gym in March of 2020. Uh, couldn't believe, not nothing big, but like 830 square foot space. And I couldn't, I'm like, oh, we're here. And the physical fitness limit um, outlet was just like a mirage in my mind to bring guys and girls in. To really see what it's about where Hey, I don't feel comfortable talking to a cop in the Bronx where I'm going through, but I might feel comfortable talking to a firefighter in the Bronx or Manhattan or another cop in Westchester County. And I can connect, Hey, you want to get a cup of coffee before this workout or after this workout and, and create a bond where you can get through this together. Like, Hey, we're a lot of people are going through the same stuff, but like you said, Dylan, in our culture, why would we talk about it? I don't want to get my gun shield taken away. I'm a cop. I can't show emotion. Right. Yeah, but you're a cop, but what you take that, that vest and that shield and that shirt off and take a shower and you look in the mirror, it's human flesh. We all bleed red, right? We don't bleed blue. So that was something that I really, really was pushing for. And then, you know, we opened up the gym in the first week of March. And then what happened a year ago, first week of March, COVID. So um, we ended up open for a week, uh, 10 days, and then had to close down. We went virtual and and the lot, then by July of 2020, we, I closed the doors for good because we raised a lot of money. I put a lot of money of my own money into it. And I was like, you know, this is not sustainable. Um, so we ended up doing the Zoom meetings and um, doing a lot of like, you know, tried to, and in New York, the gyms didn't open up to like September of 2020. So try to do our best to post workouts and do different things like that and hear for people. And we started getting messages and people started coming to our responder talks. And on, uh, I was like, wow, we can definitely roll with this. Um, you know, at first it sucked, but the big man upstairs or your higher power works in mysterious ways. If you stay the course, I said, all right, if I don't pick up a drink each day, then I have a better chance of figuring that least this stuff out. So after, you know, realizing that not only people from New York, people from like Texas, North Carolina, Colorado, California, Florida, Jersey, Connecticut, were coming to the responder talks. I was like, all right, we got something here. And, um, you know, since March, we've been running the meetings every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern via Zoom. And that's like a, a either a speaker meeting or a topic meeting, a topic like fear, social media, resentment, hate, love. What if? What if I think of this? Then that what if turns into another what if, right? Grounding techniques. And then Wednesday's just a check-in meeting and, you know, people speak on how they're doing just right where your feet are. And Wednesday's at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. And that's for first responders and the family of, because the family also needs to have their own support system and their own group. They can't forget about that secondhand trauma right dylan because if dylan comes home and he's at that 10 and drops to a two you know and his significant other or his friends are around him and they're like what's going on like why doesn't this guy want to just turn on the xbox or 
go out to dinner and things like that. And that's really hard for the family to see, you know, they, they know that the, their significant other is, is hurt or maybe suffering a little bit, but they don't know how to help them. So that's one of our, that's one things that we do. And then um, obviously we don't have the gym anymore, but physical fitness has been part of my life for you know, almost 10 years now. So uh, instead of having our own gym, right? Cause I, I didn't create the gym for any competition. It was strictly to get guys and girls together to meet each other and, and try to build a friendship and, and, a, and a bond. But seeing all the gyms that just got hurt by COVID financially, I was like, all right, what if we just sponsor first responders so they can go to the gym for two months, 60 days. And we're not talking about like a powerhouse or New York sports club or any of those gyms, like um, legitimate CrossFit gym, strength and conditioning gyms, being a group setting, have a good coach and go from there. I'm like, all right, 60 days, we'll sponsor them. And hopefully they like it enough that they feel comfortable. And now not only are we paying the gym a little bit of money, giving back to small business. Now, hopefully the first responder will enjoy and, and be part of that fellowship and that family and then, you know, become a member for good. Um, so we, we, we started doing that. It's been working out pretty, pretty good so far. And that's the physical aspect of it. Um, we have the nutrition and dietitians that we work with where same thing for two months, we'll sponsor you and pay for that. And, uh, you know, that's another 60 days of eating healthy of, cause my meal plan is not going to be the same as Dylan's meal plan. And if I tell Dylan, Hey, this is my way to go. I'm an asshole. You know, everyone is different. Everyone thinks different. Everyone moves different. Um, so that's another thing that people really need to realize is that everyone does things different because everyone has, is their own person. They have their own thoughts. Everyone pleases different. Everyone, you can have one partner go with you to a domestic call and then someone else from another day go. It's a completely different way of policing. Uh, so that's a huge part because I really believe that nutrition and eating healthy of what your higher power of God put on this planet. You know, I'm talking about if people say, how do you lose weight or gain muscle? I say, if, if it comes from the earth, eat it. If it doesn't man-made stay away. And that all food is definitely a huge depression and anxiety fighter. Um, obviously not only you're building muscle and, and everything else, your organs, blood pressure, all that it's mental health too. It's a huge aspect of, you know, if you're able to feel good, then your thoughts are going to be feeling good. And that's a huge aspect. Um, and then, so we have the fitness, the nutrition, the responder talks. Uh, we just started our Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tactics now. Of, we're sponsoring three active NYPD cops, um, pay for their first two months of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Another form of meditation. Working out is a form of meditation. It's grounding. Another form of physical fitness. Um, and then we, we've done a few soft tissue massage therapy sessions and, and cupping to take care of your physical body. Uh, let that, let that heal. So, you know, you look at a house, it's, you know, like a Pentagon, five sides, you have the fitness, the nutrition, the mental health aspect of just talking about things. And then you have the physical fitness, you have the, uh, physical take care of your body. And then the tactics part, you know, and it meets in the middle. In the big middle, you have the rep circle of recovery, of fellowship, of, of all in. There's so many different multiple pathways to recovery and working out and everything. And that's what we really want to, there's not just one way of, of going. Like, like I said, if I say it's my way or the highway, then, then Frank, you're, you're, you're the asshole. Um, and then if you're really struggling and you don't want to speak on the responder talks, you know, we have two really, really good mental health professionals that will work with you private sessions and, um, go from there and, and that's via Zoom. But all the gym sponsorships we do for now are mainly in New York. 
one in Virginia that we're working on, but it's all, all in New York. Um, and like the, the borderline of New York, New Jersey. Uh, but so far it's been a blessing and, uh, you know, didn't really think it would come to this and it felt great. Like I said, if reps would fold tomorrow, for some reason, I'd be extremely happy because I know how many first responders that we've helped and especially have helped myself not only stay sober, but become a better police officer, more empathy, and just an overall human being is that everyone at one point of life struggles and, and they struggle hard. So it's just like when you're able to just sit with yourself and get to a point where you can help others, that's what we're really here for. Yeah, brother. I mean, you're truly an inspiration hearing everything that you're doing. I've been to those responder talks and they're amazing. You have everything pretty much structured out. I'm learning a lot from you and what you're doing because um, I'm probably about a year behind you as far as uh, growth goes. Uh, but just having this partnership and this relationship that, that we've recently acquired has been a major blessing. Um, I'm seeing what you're actively doing. I can literally vet you through what I'm watching and seeing, you know, we talked about that a little bit earlier, how important it is to just to, to vet things. Um, being able, the biggest blessing that we have, that both of us have, and really anybody has, is that you can literally turn a tragedy in your life into something that can prevent others from having to experience it. And that's kind of life in general, right? Like you got a lot of business people who are trying to help other people. Every niche has their guy or girl, you know, that, that comes out and goes, okay, well, these are the things that I learned through this. I mean, it's like the same as going through any tactical training, you know, it's the same thing. It's just normalizing it for mental health. That's like the only one thing we do it with everything else. We have mentors that help us exercise. We have mentors that help us learn how to shoot. You know, when you go to the range, we have all these other things. The one thing that's always put on the back burner is mental health. And for police officers, specifically physical health, uh, and proper nutrition, because as you spoke on earlier, you, they're leading a lot of mental health issues strictly from gut health, you know, strictly. And guess what? Guess what's not good for your gut? Alcohol. It's literally a poison to the gut. Not saying you shouldn't do it ever again or anything like that. And, but n noting, knowing what certain things do to your body and, and how your body reacts to them is detrimental to, to your success. Um, and it's not so that you can live this big, lavish, happy lifestyle. It's that, that you can actually be content because really for me, and it sounds like for you, it's just tired of being, it's sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I'm tired of being a victim, you know, like I'm tired of being a freaking victim to myself, you know? So, okay, well, what needs to happen in order to be able to fix that? You got to put in work. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. And you can listen to any mentor out there. Like I say, one guy I was listening to yesterday, Jocko, I was listening to him on a, you know, cause I got a bunch of his books now. And I was listening to one of his podcasts and it's the same thing from the, from perspective, no matter what you want to accomplish in life, you have to put in work. It doesn't come easy. Always, yeah. And the unfortunate part is, is that our job can be so stressful, but that by the time we get home, we don't want to put in any work. But the problem is, is that when you make that conscious decision that when I get off work, I'm not going to do anything anymore. You are literally just catering to that, to that depressive state on a chemical level, whether you feel depressed yeah. or not. And by not, and then, and then you just become another statistic. And then you just become, a, so you live your whole career. You know, my, one of my main very broad goals is just to not retire a disgruntled police veteran because yeah. I'm tired of watching people leave, literally shit on everybody on the way out. Well, I couldn't, I can't wait to get out of here. 
or kudos to you. You got all those years, man. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and, I, and you know, it almost like they say it because it's like the cool thing to say when you retire and they don't even believe it. But guess what? In our profession, when we retire, the day we retire is the day that we literally start dying. Statistically, we don't make it very far past our past our no, retirement yeah. date. You know, um, I don't remember the statistics off my head, but I believe it was somewhere between like five, like five to seven years. Or something yeah, like say that. like 57 to 65 in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all these things uh, you know that you're doing and and that I'm building, um, you know, that's why we vibe so much because we literally have very similar stories, especially with the way that we grew up, the way that we viewed ourselves looking in the mirror, um, our issues with alcohol. You know, the severity of those individual things aren't necessarily as important as what steps need to be taken to prevent it. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that through my efforts that no, nobody has to experience suicidal thoughts because they're not fucking fun. They suck. There's no, there's no lower that your brain can go than wanting to end yourself. And we're, we're, we're literally watching it unless you're just not paying attention. We're literally watching it kill us and has been killing us higher at a higher rate than we preach how dangerous our job is. Yes, we are. It's extremely dangerous profession. I don't want to lighten that, but the job and those dangerous encounters are not what not what's killing us. It's ourselves. And through programs like Reps for Responders, which anybody here listening, you know, at the end of this podcast, I'll make sure that I tag in every single which way or, you know, however. And then, uh, you know, you having a podcast as well and all these other outlets. If you have if you have the slightest idea in your brain, okay, I'm ready. I'm tired of this shit. I'm ready to I'm ready to put myself in a better position. Well, here are some avenues that you can take a positive approach. And, and the, the cool thing is, is, you know, you don't have to do it alone, you know. And you guys have these, these chat groups and things like that that really, really are helping people. People people praise about. Also, your logo is really dope. You got some cool-ass merch. Hey, and by the way, for all the guys out there, yes, the shirts hug, you know, hug the biceps. You know what I'm saying? The sleeves are tight, baby. You know what I mean? Uh, you know? Well. Hey, you know, it's, t- it's tight in the right spots. You know what I mean? So I've been, I'm in the gym wearing the rep shirt, man, looking like a beast, you know, but you know, that's like the important thing is just normalizing this process. And we're hoping that these, uh, our stories and your story specifically, Frank, are inspire, uh, other officers and, and other first responders, military members, this is open for everybody and their families to, to take a, just one small step in the right direction. Uh, so that you're not uh, look if you if your life is squared away and you're in this job and, and you can go out and you really do feel happy perfect you've you've literally got it down pat and kudos to you but i do feel like the majority of us don't feel that way and so that's why these things are so important and luckily on a positive note i do see that the new culture of policing is is more acceptable to to these outlets so I just wanted to, to reiterate some of the things that you said, because you, you also just said a lot of powerful things and, and they're very true and we can run away from it all we want, but it's there. These things are there. They're creeping on yeah. you and you know it's it because you feel it's it. Always, they're always going to be, I was going to say like every day for me is like, it's not easy at all. It's every day is going to be a battle and those feelings are, and things like that's probably always going to be there for most of us. But I know that I don't have to do it alone. And that's what gets like, all right, we're going through a hard time. Who am I going to call today? Am I going to call? Am I calling Dylan? Am I going to call Jay? Am I going to call Joseph? 
And I'm going to talk to my significant other, Christina, and be honest with her and communicate with her instead of saying, how was work? Oh, it was great. It was okay. Anything you want to talk about? Nah, nah, nah. It's, it's, it's all good. You know, same old stuff. But if I can communicate, then I'm going to be able to make my day a little easier, right? Because what is it? February 21st, 2021. No one has ever lived February 21st, 2021 today. You know what I mean? So it's a new experience for us all. And tomorrow will be the same thing. So if I can think of it like that and remember that, I uh, have a good day. I uh, have a good chance of uh, having a content, like you said, decent and content day. And our boy Jay, who nobody here knows, but I'll have him on the podcast later. Like he said today uh, on Instagram, any day above the ground is a good day. And, it, and that's so true. Amen. Uh, we, we take that shit for granted so much. Uh, just living life in general, we take it for granted. And as a first responder, that's why it's so passionate to me because, damn, we give so much of ourselves to everybody else. Like, damn, give, give some to yourself. Have to. Give a, give a little bit to yourself. And then the cool thing is, on top of that, is that it doesn't even have to be your direct circle. I've never met you personally. And the same thing with, 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 my, with the last podcast with Joey. I've never met him either. And he lives in 25 minutes from me. But there's still that bond there. And I definitely don't, the, the more that you are open to the idea of, of bettering yourself so that you can live the life that you deserve, the more you're going to notice that it's not a lonely journey. Because it's not. It's definitely I mean, not. you have so many freaking people here to help. Uh, you know, we're just so hard-headed that we're like, okay, well, I'm going to get help, but I'm going to do it by myself. <laughs> nah. Well, that, dude, it's like the you same know? thing. Sorry to cut you off, but it's like, dude, it's the same thing. You go to a domestic call and you're by yourself and the guy's got a knife to his, to so one, it's not even used to guys. Someone has a knife to someone else's neck. You're not going to sit there and try to do it by yourself. You know what I mean? It, it's the same thing tactically. And, you know, I, you know, the, the, the mission of retro responders is increasing emotional and physical survivability skills of first responders so they can make better decisions on the job and off the job uh, so they can live a great life during their job and after or a, a more improved life, um, but also prevent suicide. But if you take it one step further, if you're able to do this now, when I don't drink, if you, do, if you want like try to have the best, if you're into superheroes and all that and you want to have that superhero mindset, well, lifting and eating healthy, not drinking, taking care of yourself, that's your, your, your awareness is improving, your quickness, your peripheral vision is going. Like That's how I feel. And now I can control my emotions pretty good where you don't have to worry about being on the front page of the paper or channel 12 news because you got so angry that you kicked someone that's in cuffs or you made a bad decision or you did things like that. You're able to make smarter, more improved decisions on the streets. And that's what it's all about. Doing the job the way you have to do it to get home safely, but doing it as correctly as possible um, and taking each job and any, any day as the life lesson of, if I can go back and say, what did I do today? when I'm and tomorrow and say, okay, I learned from that. That's all the power. You know, a lot of, a lot of guys and girls, they don't give, they don't give themselves enough credit. And, and I'm trying to change that. You have to, you have to see how far you came and you're still here. If you're listening to this podcast, you are still here. You're listening to it to a, for a reason. So give yourself some credit. And clearly you're interested in, in the, in what we've been able to do or what we're doing to be on this podcast in the first place. I know uh, now my, my stuff is echoing because my laptop's dying. So <laughs> I had to move to a different room. So I'm going to go back in here. Um, but that's, 
the main thing here is just opening up your brain to the idea of potentially setting yourself up to live the life that you deserve. That's what it comes down to. And knowing and telling yourself that it, it's, it's, it's work. The only way that you can build more self-esteem is through work. Every day. The only way that you can build more confidence is through work. The only way you can get better at shooting a firearm is through doing it repetitively. The only way you can get better at doing any kind of tactics um, on the job, as far as self-defense or anything, is through work. Nobody goes to jujitsu and does like one day, and then that now they're just some master kung fu fighter. Like it's yeah, not, now they're a black belt. Exactly. It's I'm not. I'm glad it's you not brought that works. up. I'm glad you brought that up because it's not two weeks of therapy. Okay, I'm fixed. No. It's not two meetings I'm fixed. It's oh. every day. You have to accept it and say, this is a lifestyle. That's gonna. It's a habit. Now it's a behavior and a lifestyle. And, you know, it gives you a chance. If you want to succeed and be the top of, of your class or the top of whatever your profession or just the top of your personality, of you, if I want to be the best Frank I can be, I have to do these things. Yeah. I have to. Exactly. And it was a hard, you just have to. There's no, there's nothing else to say. You have to, you have to be all in. It's just normalizing it, you know, because right. we are master compartmentalizers. So we literally can see certain things and, and they'll dive deep, but those demons are still there. They're going to come back oh, up. Dude, they're all, and they're, they're always going to come back full force. Oh, they're going to come back full force, especially I mean, in your weakest moments when you're not expecting it. You're like, wow, I, I, why am I this upset about this one thing? Well, it's not that one thing. It's all that shit in your closet that you've been trying to ignore, you know, your whole life. And this is where you are. But that's why you, myself, and plenty, numerous other organizations have come together because we have similar experiences and we yeah. really want to be able to come here and help because it's a part, a part of my healing process is, and, and if you want to call it recovery or what my growth process uh, is pulling other people with me. It's inherently what I want to be able to do. And I think that's a natural response for a first responder in the first place, you know, because we, um, and I hope that other people get to feel that feeling as well. It's like being at a place so much better than where they were before that they can't wait to help one of their other buddies out. And then it just becomes a trend. And then we start shifting the culture. And then now it's, it's not, oh man, you know, things are rough. So Johnny had to go to therapy. It's like, oh, things are rough. So, you know, Johnny's on a new workout program or blah, 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 blah. No, it's, this is just life. This is just what we do. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be big and sexy. It's just, it is what it is. You just put in the work consecutively every day and you know, it doesn't have to be eventually we're, we spice it up because it's not popular. You know, we're kind of trying to make wellness sexy when it doesn't need to be, but you know, and eventually the, the, the goal is that it's not, it's just inherently there. Um, and if you don't have enough proof as to why these things are important, and just do a quick Google search and you'll see it. You'll see why. This is not just a first responder, military veteran problem. This is a global problem. Uh, suicide rates across the globe are insane. Um, and that is, of course, as, as I talk about suicide, that is, the, that is the deepest, darkest part of this journey. Hopefully you never have to experience those kind of thoughts or that kind of experience, because that is the deepest, darkest part of this journey. But regardless, if you're having thoughts like that or not, or if, you're, or if you are really having uh, similar issues like Frank and I with alcohol or have, 
that's even more of a kick in your ass to go in the right direction, but maybe you're not, maybe you're just, you know, you're just not really where you need to be. Well, guess what? Or you just don't, you don't wake up every day really feeling like who you believe you need to be. Well, that's, that's your brain telling because your brain typically knows what's right. You know what I'm saying? We just normally combat it. You know, if you're an overall good person, your brain usually comes up with the right decision. Oh, I should probably go to the gym. Then I don't, or I should probably do this. Yeah. And then I don't, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's you actively combating what your brain already knows is good. That is, that is the door. That's why we have the open door um, because now we can, especially with reps. And that's why I'm so glad to have you on here is because you can literally go, you know what? I think I'm gonna take them up on that. And now you've joined a family, just like you might join one less family and, 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 and co-signing to our agenda, you join the reps family. And then you'll be a part of so many freaking families that nothing you could do could make you feel yeah. because you just got way too many. Now I'm at the point where like, I got so many people checking up on me that I'm like, damn, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's kind of got to that point because you just build that family. So, um, you know, I kind of want to, I kind of want to close that, it out on that note, man. We, we hit a lot of fellowship. good stuff. You real quick before we close it out, definitely what you just said was that gut feeling and how you talk about gut health. <clears throat> your brain is connected. When you get that feeling of that gut feeling of, and you know, it's right or wrong and you go, you know, that that's not lying. You're, you're, you're literally scientifically, your how our bodies are made, your brain is connected to your stomach. 90, 90, over 90% of, of serotonin, right. Is created in the stomach. So we have to be aware of that and listen to that and say, and to me, that's what my spirit is calling. My spirit is calling that don't fight it. Don't let the demon or the minotaur come and, and, and take that away from you. So, so I want to say that Dylan and uh, had a great time, man. It's weird to just travel through my labyrinth, you know, like this. So uh, I really appreciate you uh, having me on. And uh, as long as we can, uh, like, you, you know, one less and at least one person got something from this uh, today that uh, I appreciate, I appreciate it. And, you know, matter of fact is I got something from it. So thank you, Dylan, for keeping me sober today and for helping me out today, man. Really appreciate you and, 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 and right back at you. These things, these podcasts help me just as much as they help anybody else. The chat rooms help me just as much as they help anybody else. And in closing, how do people get a hold of you, man? I need you to shout out. I mean, you got your own podcast, you got reps, you got oh, all man. this. So how do how do people get a hold of you? Do do you know? Quick um, shout out. All right. Well, my home address is no. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, so if you are my our hour, not mine. It's our Instagram is reps underscore four underscore responders. Uh, pretty active on there. If anyone needs anything, please message us. Uh, if it's responder talks or things like that, um, I just want to chat. Then my email, our e my email is repsforresponders at gmail.com. Myself and Christina, who's who uh, helps me run the program very nicely, and just one of one of the uh, great individuals we have on our team, um, run that email. Uh, we have uh, repsforresponders.org is our website. There's a newsletter on the bottom. There's ask a question or, you know, it'll direct us right to our email. So all the services we provide and everything we do. And then the podcast that we were able to have uh, Dylan on, which was an honor is, and plenty other of uh, first responders and really top physical fitness people uh, in the game is inside the labyrinth podcast. And that's on Instagram um, at inside underscore the underscore labyrinth. And that's Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google podcast, all that good stuff. So uh, we're out there and, we're here. We're here for you guys and I uh, want to help out the best way we can. And I've said this before, I think Dylan in the podcast you're on is, Hey, reps might not be for you. You might not like it. You might say Frank is a piece of shit and not like me. And it is what it is, but 
there's hundreds of other organizations out there that you can find, right? Don't just go to one and think that's it, right? Don't just do one therapy session and say, this therapist sucks. I'm never doing it again. It's the same thing with going to college. It's the same thing with dating and things. Find the one that worked for you. The same thing with fitness we talked about. Find what works for you. And when you feel that gut feeling like, ah, this feels like home, stick with that, you know? And um, I'm always going to say that because we need programs like reps one less all over the country um, because we have to stay in this together because obviously the departments see it as a something different right now, which is tough. But if we have us, I think we're definitely in the right, the right path for uh, change and, um, you know, giving first responders, like we say, a better place to feel, heal and thrive. So for everybody, um, of course, my Instagram personal is dl.ignacio and then uh, one less's pages is one less one, the number one L-E-S-S underscore or, and that's the best two ways DM. If you got anything from this podcast, you really enjoyed it. The only thing that I ask is that you share it uh, with somebody that you think may benefit from it. Um, and then also give us both a follow and reach out, really reach out. Uh, Frank and I share that uh, wholeheartedly that if you message us, we will respond and we are, are there for you. And if we can't find out, uh, you know, if we don't have an immediate answer for one of your problems, we will find somebody who has it. Um, we have committed ourselves to that. So once again, man, thank you so much for being on here and uh, stay blessed, brother. Stay sober and uh, stay safe. Oh, man. Thank you so much, man. Yes. Stay. I used to stay. <clears throat> stay squatting. Stay sober. Stay strong. All right. There Thanks again, Dylan. I appreciate it. See you. All right, bro. Peace. Another day, I praise God for another day. When evil wanna have his way, the good ones will never break. I take a deep breath and then I say a prayer before I step foot into the devil's lair. Cause we don't know if we gon' make it out. This ain't new news, we've been on this paper route. Trailblazing on these cold streets Scrutinized by spectators and nosebleeds They don't love us, but they call us when they need us Followers who never will support us cause we lead us Never coward, move forward to the evil The barrier between the broken and the feeble Hungry jaguars in this jungle full of evil We can't eat them, we only catch them, they release them Giving us the reason why we always feel defeated And they adopt the credence to give power to the demons Hyenas laughing and salivating while they scheming But the sheepdogs will always be here Another day is another day Thank God for another day I know they wanna see us dead But this line, it'll never fade Another day is another day I praise God for another day When evil wanna have his way The good ones will never break